Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards, presented by our best friends at Bedgear. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me today, as he always does, one of the best basketball minds in the world, but more importantly, he's just a good man. He's Jeff Skin Wade. What's up, Skin? Hey, Bobby. It's great to be talking to you. I want to give a special birthday shout out to my son, Desmond Wade, who is in the next room either doing online schooling or skipping online schooling and playing Fortnite. Who could really definitely know? playing Fortnite? Yeah. Definitely. But uh, happy birthday to my son, Desmond. So, Hey, that's all. Let's, let's get him on the pod sometime. How about that? Maybe, oh, maybe yeah, for 14. He'd, he'd be great. He would, uh, you know, he'd laugh at fart sounds or something. He'd be great. You know, what, what does he think about like pick and roll coverages and, you know, the hedge versus the, the show and versus the drop. If it's not happening on that, island that he parachutes into i don't think he cares if they're, do they if play basketball do they have a basketball court in Fortnite? i i, I, I don't, don't know. know if there's pick and roll coverage in Fortnite, he cares if not he does not okay well that's relatable that's relatable because yep. if there's no basketball in Fortnite, guess what desmond i don't care about Fortnite. oh <laughs> i just dunked on your teenage son <laughs> <laughs> roasted yeah uh, so this is the end of the first week of the offseason, man, and we don't know how long this offseason is going to be. So we're going to be left with these feelings of kind of like this, these mixed feelings of pride and maybe a little like disappointment, thoughts of what could have been, because uh, not only did the Mavericks seeding situation maybe prevent them from playing some of these other teams in the West who arguably did not have as strong a showing in the postseason as Dallas did, uh, but also injuries and, uh, you know, some, some missed action by their best players due to officiating and, and certain mix-ups uh, put kind of like a, a cloud over the Clipper series too. But anyway, there, there's good and bad feelings. We're going to try and uh, parse through them all here on this podcast over the next half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. So uh, I guess, Skin, before we go too far down any rabbit hole, what, you know, now that you've had a week to think about it, how are you feeling about everything whether it's game six or games one through 75 or whatever, how are you feeling about it all? Well, I think I'm probably a little uh, hyper-focused on Orlando and bubble world, you know, because the other regular season seems so far away. But if I do go back, I have some really good memories or foundation pieces to get excited about the future, like the Houston road game where Houston made a fury on a Sunday, Houston made a furious comeback and the Mavs withheld it. The Milwaukee game, you know, where they ended the streak and poor Zingas was unicorning everywhere, you know, the, looking at the numbers of different guys and how it works together. And then fast forwarding to the bubble, I honestly, Bobby, I only have two disappointments about the entire quote unquote bubble experience from the Mavs perspective. One is them blowing game one against Houston, because I think that changes the dynamic. And right now we're talking about the Mavs in the second round. And then, because I'm very convinced that they're better than, or they had a good chance to compete and beat any other team in the, you know, in the in the playoffs right now in the West. I'm convinced they'd beat the Rockets or give the Rockets hell, and then whoever shots fall, I'm convinced the same against the Thunder, against the Nuggets, against the Jazz. I we talked about this. The Clippers were the worst possible matchup, and the Clippers didn't even play that well we saw last night against the Nuggets what the Clippers are uh and then the other one is just the meniscus injury it's disappointing I think you know if we're looking at severity of injuries 
I feel like, hey, okay, that's manageable and that can be worked back. But whenever you have a guy that tall that's had injuries before, your mind goes to the worst places because that's what we do as sports fans. But honestly, of those of injuries that can happen, that's manageable. It's just it, it's cause for pause. So those are the only two things in the bubble that I was disappointed in or frustrated over. Everything else, man, ah, I just thought it was a great experience all around for Maverick fans. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think anybody who listened to this the day we talked about the, just the prospect of playing the Clippers right, could sense, like, just the existential dread in our voices. I mean, yeah. Dude, we might have even said it, but like, if you win one game, I'm just over the moon. I was uh, hoping but, for, I was hoping, not hoping, I was hoping for the Mavs to win the championship, but I was realistically thinking, get a game. Just yeah. get you a game. Yeah, I wasn't and they got sitting two. there thinking, I wasn't sitting there thinking, Luca's going to hit a game winner in front of the whole world and dance on their heads as we tie <laughs> the series up. I wasn't thinking that was going to happen. Yeah, but I mean, they got two wins, man. And I mean, you could make the case through four games, and now this is like the ultimate loser attitude or whatever, but through four games, they were probably the better team. And they did that shorthanded. You know, yeah. they were shorthanded for most of the first four games due to uh, an ejection and then foul trouble and then an ankle injury and then a knee injury. And so, and that's just to their two best players, yes. let alone to all the other guys in their team that were missing. And I think that's the big sort of, um, letdown of the whole thing is that you know because of a couple injuries and, and the way the rotation shook out and then also the Clippers personnel it was really hard for Dallas to even play their best five-man lineup yeah. which was Tim and uh, Seth and then Luca, Dorian and KP right and it's just tough to play that lineup against the Clippers because they're such a, a meat grinder of a defense and their offense is equally as awesome and uh, if you roll out those five you don't have anyone to guard they're two best players. And so right. uh, Dallas had to adjust to swing up to, to, to play with this better team. And so they took on sort of a different identity. And that's before guys started missing games. Right. So, um, and it still almost worked. It you know, worked. they still, they still gave them hell. So there's uh, so many you know, positives. So yeah, many yeah, positives. For sure. For sure. I mean, it was a six game defeat, but I don't think that, you know, five years from now, we're going to be like, dude, that was Awesome. And even now I'm thinking that was, that was really good. You know, that, that went, that went about as well as anybody could have expected. Yep. But I think the best thing of, uh, about the whole situation is that there was good reason for, especially the players in the locker room, who many of them was their first time in the postseason to walk away from that series thinking we had a realistic chance to win that series. If I, or we would have done X or would have just done Y like, they were close. I wouldn't say that they were the better team after six games, obviously. The Clippers kind of, you know, did their thing in games five and six. But Dallas was shorthanded. But um, there were many, many things that Dallas could have done just a little bit better in that series. And it potentially could have turned out differently. And so I think that's good, too, because if you just go to the playoffs and get smacked around by a better team, you're not right. really going to learn anything from it. But Dallas tasted enough success and then also experienced enough kind of like close failures, even to Houston in the regular, in the regular restart thing, uh, to walk away from that thinking, yeah, there are very clear things that I can do this summer to improve as a player, that we can do to improve as a team, to where if we do, that series turns out differently a year from now. And I think that's the thing that's most encouraging about it is that it's a loss, yes, but there's a lot to be learned, a lot to be gained from experiencing that, that defeat. 
There was, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And there's also, there's some singular moments that just make the, what I think, and I think you feel the same way as me on this, the future of this team just escalate and just get to that, that beautiful place sooner. And uh, I want to share a text message with you uh, from someone I got um, that ha- that's been in professional sports, you know, their whole adult life. They texted me this. Are you texting Dirk? Are you guys best friends? We're best friends. Um, okay. Guys, this is Dirk. No, it's not Dirk. But uh, it's, a, it's kind of an intangible thing. And I, I don't know if you and I talked about this. I'd love to get your response to this. But the moments that stand out in the series are obviously Luca's game winner. To me, game six, when all was lost, building momentum at the end of the third quarter, cutting it to six and going out like that shorthanded mm-hmm. and then the pivotal moment was the karate chop on Luca's neck all right and everything that went around that because we, we talked about this you know uh I think we mentioned this on the podcast I talked to another guy that's been in the league for 20 years it was like yeah it's going to be bad for the Mavs because they're just going to beat the crap out of Luca, and so we're just going to watch Luca get beat up that was, so, that was our series preview, was brace was yourself because they're going to take some liberties. So let me fast forward to the Morris moment. And a guy, again, that had been in professional sports his entire life and knows about competing and knows about what happens during tense moments and the idea of who's got it and who guys fear and who they don't fear, he said, simple text, I wish Luca got to Morris. And – I know that sounds like really generic and locker roomy and high school and, and stuff. But the point is, is that there, and, and this is in a lot of different sports, but you see it more in hockey and basketball than other sports. The idea that you have this special skill player and then you have people that protect them. Like if you're a Dallas sports fan, that was Mike Madonna. Protect Mike Madonna. Don't let him get in any fights. And so there's a thought about Luca that, all right, you protect Luca and you get guys around him and protect him. But just, I could not stop watching the look on Luca's face as he gathered his body. He, he was about, he wanted that, that dude. He yeah. wanted that dude. And we can sit here and talk about whether it's smart or macho or whatever. When you're in that moment and you are fighting like hell, all right, those emotions and those uh the adrenaline and all those things what you are and your 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 base instincts are revealed in those moments and one guy committed an atrocity and was starting to walk the other way and another guy wanted to go eat his lunch and the guy that wanted to go eat his lunch is currently one of the five best players in the world that is an incredible elixir of specialness you know what i'm saying that is a guy that not only is he beyond talented but the dna of a guy that is going to leave home at 13 and go be on his own and then on this stage gets karate chopped by a guy who's got a reputation of being a dirty player that wasn't hold me back that wasn't a baseball fight that was i'm gonna go get this dude for what he did to me and that is just an instinct it's a base personality trait that cannot be duplicated and it can't be manufactured. And we already knew what Luca could do on the floor. 
but that is something that I watched and went, man, that guy is a competitor and he will get us a championship. There is zero doubt in my mind. He grew up as a kid that was like barely old enough to drive hitting game winners in road gyms where fans had fireworks in the stands. Yes. Like, he's not afraid of Marcus Morris or no. Trez or any of those guys. He's just not afraid. You know, he wanted Marcus Morris to knew what, to know what he was about. And he was yeah. about to go show him what he was about. And if it was anybody except for Boban, maybe Maxi is strong enough to hold Luca back. But if it's anybody other than Boban standing in that exact spot, then I'm not sure Luca would have finished game six either. You know, right. uh, it, it might have been some spicy television. And like if it was Dorian, then I think Luca might have like thrown Dorian through the hoop just to get to, to Morris. He, nothing was going to stop Luca there except for the biggest guy in the league. There was nothing um, fake or flashy or showy about that. That was, I'm going to go get it back. That's what Yeah, happened. and at the opposite end of that, I don't even know if this is a good time to bring it up, but in 2011, think game four against the Lakers, whenever Bynum and I think Arte, or Odom first and then Bynum against JJ, whenever yeah. they were taking their cheap shots, the Mavs were up by a million, and they didn't even, like, they didn't even – I think the Lakers wanted to get a rise out of them, and they didn't even give them the dignity of, like, responding. And I thought that in that moment, that was ultra badass too because they know we're so much better than you. We don't care. You know, right. we're on to the next round already. If you react, you're going to get suspended. In that moment, you got nothing to lose. It's this better team than you trying to punk you. And that is when you respond, you know. Yeah. Uh, the situation dictated it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of Luca for, for doing that. But he's a wild one. I, I think – he might, uh, he might end up in, in some type of scrum before his career is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, was, um, it was a great – you know, no, these things are always based on your expectations. You know what I'm saying? If you're a Laker fan and you don't reach the conference finals, it's a huge disappointment. If you're a Maverick fan and you lose in the first round to what you and I both felt like were the championship favorites going in and a team that is more than any other team best equipped – to defend Luca because of the Morris and the Kawhi and the Paul George and Beverly didn't even really play. They have guys to throw at him that are tough, physical, elite defensive guys. And Luca still had two 40 point triple doubles and the craziest stat line in playoff history. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, he showed the world that he is an elite player at 21 and in the conversation for a top. I think he, I think he's a top five player. I think he's in the conversation for top three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he's cemented himself as that dude in this series, you know, and the whole league saw it. The, the whole league, league was it. watching on that Sunday afternoon whenever he buried that three. And uh, probably everybody reacted just like you and me whenever he hit it. Um, there were other moments in that series that I really kind of, I, I guess, admired their spirit in or whatever. Game two, whenever Luca picked up his fifth foul, they kept right on plugging along in the fourth quarter and they, they closed the door. Mm -hmm. And in game three, whenever Luca went out with the ankle injury, instead of tucking their tail between their legs, they fought back and made it a single digit game inside yeah. the final couple of minutes. Like they made the Clippers call timeout. Poor Landry Shamet almost got cut in the middle of a playoff game. Okay. What was he, what he doing did. though? I don't know, oh, man. Almighty. I don't know. <laughs> and then he did it again. He did it twice in a row. What is <laughs> Doc, like you could see smoke coming from the Clippers bench. Doc was <laughs> fuming, and rightfully so. I mean, bro, what are you doing? But, I mean, every single time that there was, like, some type of turning point moment in one of these games, 
I mean, the Clippers won the series, so they got the better end of it. But Dallas did not back down or fight or, like, there was no, like, sense of betaness about them, right? I mean, they were, like, they were there for it. And they, I don't think they were afraid of the Clippers. I, I'm, maybe they don't even respect the Clippers, which is a whole other thing. But uh, they, they were not playing, like, a team that felt any type of pressure or sense of, like, fear of the moment or anything. I mean, they were – Dallas believes that they can be there which is good because now, I mean, the, the pressure's kind of on for them to be there every year, you know, like yeah. next year, first round defeat is, is not going to be like excusable. We're not gonna be able to explain it away on this podcast. Like, Oh, you know, good experience. Uh, the pressure's on now, yeah. but based on the way they played and based on the way they carried themselves and their responses to all these like tense situations in the bubble and in the playoffs, um, I, I have faith that they'll be able to kind of handle that pressure next season. Yeah, I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel any emotional pain uh, during the series outside of, uh, you know, the Porzingis injury. I just, and, and it does remind me of the early 2000s when you feel like you're playing with house money. Um, I can even remember that San Antonio series that Dirk got hurt in and Steve Kerr has this crazy comeback. I think that was game six, I guess that was. And, and I remember even then feeling disappointment but also being like man we're ahead of the curve so these are these are good years when you can lose and not feel bad so uh cherish all this but you're right I think it does shift immediately to expectations now and I think that's an incredible beautiful thing to have a player that changes your dynamic that much I couldn't have in a million years thought Luca was this I just and, – and I, I know even the guys in the organization that were pro-Luca from the jump, he's exceeded those expectations, and they had high expectations. It is not normal for a guy to be a top-five player in his second year. It's just not normal, man. This is incredible. We were – I think the day after the draft or maybe like a week after the draft, whenever they got him, we were talking about what kind of player he would be in year one and then also for his career. And you and I were agreed, like – if he's Manu Ginobili, that would be awesome. And yeah. look, Manu's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. I deservedly going to be a Hall of Famer. Peak of his career was averaging like 19, 20 off the bench. Easily second or third best player on a million title teams. Mm-hmm. Luca is he's already better. I mean, it's not even a comparison. It's not a comparison. I remember is, thinking, I was like, I think he's sort of a hybrid between Gallinari and uh, the Italian dude, Gunner, off the bench for the Spurs that played for everybody. What's that shooter's name? guy comes off screens on Blake. Riccio Alberto. Uh, no, no, no. Marco no, no. Bellinelli. Bellinelli. Tito Turkoglu. I thought, I thought he was a. I thought he was a Bellinelli Gallinari hybrid because you know the way Bellinelli comes off screens and plays with flair, but Luca was big, and I was like, he's kind of he's somewhere in between those two guys. But you don't, you know, I didn't watch their games over there. I just saw clips, and when you watch clips, you don't even really fully realize how he sees plays develop in advance, you know, or how he's able to steer help defenses to where he wants to put them so that he can counter. Like you can't see those things from watching clips. And then obviously, you know, I think we probably think a little differently about athleticism than we did four or five years ago. And I think we were, you know, putting more emphasis on strength and balance than we used to as a person, as opposed to burst and some of those kinds of things. Um, but he's just, you know, when you start coming up, I remember at one point thinking, hey, maybe he's like Chris Mullen. 
But I, I think, you know, when you start doing these comparisons, you're basing it on your experiences and what you've seen before. And the thing with Luke is we've never seen anything like this. So no comparisons Ever. are apt. It's just I thought Spencer different. Dinwiddie had a really good uh, kind of breakdown of, of Luke's whole thing, what makes him so tough to guard. Because he said almost every time down the floor, he's using like a different rhythm, different dribbles, different dribble moves. Sometimes he goes early. Sometimes he goes late. Sometimes he tries to break you down and then pass. Sometimes he just makes the pass. Like you have no idea what he's going to do. He goes to the rim. He could go up right away. He could go up for a floater. He could like jump stop, pump fake, uh, spin. He can go up with either hand. Every single trip down the floor, he's going to do something different. So if you think of it like you're like a DN in football and you're a pass rusher, you're trying to pick up on the quarterback's cadence. And if they do the same thing 50 times, you're going to get like a million sacks on the guy because you know exactly when they're going to snap the ball. But with Luca, there is no cadence. There's no rhythm. There's no element of predictability to his game. He doesn't have this like robotic sense of, if my opponent is doing this, I'm going to do this. Like he dictates what his opponent's going to do. He's not reacting to what they're doing. He just does whatever he wants. And he makes it look so easy. And so it's impossible to predict what he's going to do because you don't even know what to expect. And until people kind of pick up on any of that, he's going to keep making all pro, all NBA defenders look like clowns. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. There's so many, that's a, I hadn't heard Dinwiddie say that, but it reminds me of a lot of different things. First of all, one of the things that Harp always points out is the combination of handles with size and not just height, just strength. You know, if you go back and you look at the Morris karate chop clip, one of the reasons, I mean, they're already heated, but Morris is getting his ass kicked on a drive. Like Luca's body and that dude up and working him as he has the ball. That's frustrating, right? So the size and strength compare with that handle. But as did what he was describing all that, it's the the sort of the essence of why the Mavericks want to play random. Uh, you know, so you can't sit on things. Did you did you watch the end of the Boston Toronto game last night? Uh, I saw the final play, but I did not see the actual game. Uh, so the, the, and, uh, the thing about that final play is it's, it's really, it's, I mean, a dude made the, sh- the OG made the shot, but that's all Kyle Lowry. I mean, that is incredible basketball savvy and wisdom, because if you go back and watch Jason Tatum on defense, the Boston Celtics are sitting on the play. They know exactly where Van Vliet is going to go and they're flooding that. And when you hear Kyle Lowry talk about it, he anticipated that Boston was going to be anticipating what Toronto was going to do. It reminds me of the famous Vince Carter shot against the Spurs. I mean, I've told that story before. The Mavericks were anticipating that the Spurs were anticipating the play that they were going to run so they were ready for the counter. And I think I've told you that story. I was standing at the end of the bench and I saw Rick talking to Vince Carter, telling him it's coming to you this time. And they had ran that play a million times, and we had never seen that counter. We had never seen it. And so Lowry anticipated the anticipation to take away what they wanted to do. OG is not an option on the play. He is designed to take a defender out of a space. And Tatum, Tatum is pointing for Jalen Brown to go pick him up, and Brown's like, I'm not leaving this guy under the basket. So a guy's wide open. Nobody's covering him. But my whole point of going down that rabbit hole is you're talking about teams defend guys based on anticipation of tendencies 
and what they've seen in their study. And so if you know, like, and sometimes it doesn't matter. Everyone knows Lou Williams is floating left. Everyone knows he's doing it. You just can't get there in time. But what if you don't even know what that MFR is going to do? And that's, again, that's the idea of playing randomized basketball or why transition so effective. Besides mismatches, you can't sit on stuff. You don't know what's coming. The random element is the offense's advantage. And Dinwiddie's talking about this concept of the randomization of everything a player does is random and the rhythms are different. That's a really cool description and one in the essence of what makes him so special and unique. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And then you surround him with guys like KP, for example, who he's going to spot up from 35 and every now and then he's going to shoot it. And so you better be ready for him to shoot it. And if you're a big man, you better get your butt out there, you know, because he's, he's going to do it. But if you get too close, he'll blow by you. I mean, it's just, you just keep introducing these elements of chaos, you know, JJ Barea, for example, I mean, you know, he, he didn't get into the games really at all during the bubble, but I mean, in the peak of his career, he could go left, he could go right. He'd dribble it out. He'd pull up for a little – I mean, he just had so many – there's different elements to his game where he's only like 5'9 or 5'10 or whatever, but he can do so many different things. Uh, it, it helps him overcome maybe any natural disadvantages. But yeah. Luca, I don't know that he has any disadvantages. He's not the quickest guy. He's not a 40% three-point shooter, but he can do anything. I mean, he can do anything. He can do anything on the floor, and uh, it's just – it's amazing to behold. It's amazing yeah. to behold. You know, and the other thing, too, is quickness is incredible. Uh, I'm guilty of this. I have a tendency to overrate quickness. Um, quickness is obviously an advantage if you know how to utilize it. And so the skill and the, and the balance, the able to, to change directions and those – like the reason quickness is an advantage is because it gets a guy off balance, but if the defender. But if you can get a defender off balance in other ways – doesn't have to be all about quickness. I'm, I was, I'm guilty of overrating quickness. Um, but if you can just, I mean, look at what Russell Westbrook does. So much of that is just based off of wild athletic ability. I'm not saying that he doesn't have skill. He obviously has skill, but he's using his athletic ability to get you off balance. Luca is using physical leverage with strength and skill to get you off balance. They achieve the same thing. They give an offensive player an advantage there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And I can stubbornly go, this is the way to do it, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. I think quickness is an important element to teams. I don't think necessarily every player has to have it, but I mean, we saw, we don't, you know, it's just one guy. We saw the added Trey Burke immediately became the quickest player on their team. And that was a really valuable piece for them because yeah. he was able to get by defenders one-on-one, but Luca can do the same thing just using different methods. But Sometimes it is really just important to your offense to have a guy who can just blow past people. And that's what Trey Burke added, something that they didn't really have all year. I mean, you know, Jalen, before he got hurt, didn't really have that. He's more like Luka. He's just like herky-jerky, knock you off balance and then go. J.J., same way. He's not not blazing quick anymore like he used to be uh, whenever he was younger. And uh, you add, you drop Trey in there and it gives you something that you can't get from any of your main ball handlers or really any other sporting pieces. Seth, Tim, not the quickest guys. KP's quick for his size. Um, But I think it's good to have kind of like those different looks. So maybe, and this is a very small sample because it's just, you know, eight games plus a playoff series and, and, you know, he caught fire a little bit. But maybe 
it's good to have somebody else on the roster who is quick to kind of yeah. like give you a different look, right? Because you can it's sit why they on wanted Kimba. It's why What's they that? wanted Kimba last off. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And I, and I know there's a lot of discussion about, well, do you need him and ball dominance and blah, blah, blah. But the whole point is, look, a team is going to take the ball out of somebody's hands if they can. So how do you beat them when they do that? Anytime you can go four on three against a team, you're going to do it. And so if they're going to, you know, and this is why the Rockets added Russell Westbrook or whatever. If I'm going to flood J, uh, James Harden, he's going to back up a step. He's going to hit the guy in the middle. And now you're playing four on three. That's ideal. And so mm-hmm. the Mavericks have to have – and it's Porzingis is the guy, but he's hurt, right? So there has to be another guy to counter that once they take the ball out of Luka's hands because, quite frankly, it's bad coaching not to take the ball out of Luka's hands if the yeah. other team doesn't have guys to then just punish you four on three. So you've got to make sure that you have other guys on the floor that will take advantage of that four on three every single time. Do you think, and this is, I guess, wrapping up my extremely homerific takes, but do you think that the players are sitting at home watching these playoff games thinking, man, we could beat every single one of those teams except for the Clippers? I mean, what do you think they were thinking when they watched Denver and Utah? What do you think they were thinking when they watched Houston and OKC? These teams are struggling to break 100. I mean – It's got a light of fire under their ass. I really think that if KP had been healthy, I think these guys thought that they could beat the Clippers. I think, I truly think they believe that. Not in some like delusional kind of way. They just knew what they could do. And, you know, whenever you have a guy like Luca, things seem possible. And those guys are all NBA players. They're confident. There's not a guy on our team that I don't think plays with, you know, hesitation or you know is not a confident player sometimes there's certain guys that pass up shots and different things but in general it's a very confident bunch you know what I'm saying and uh and so I think they're sitting at home going man if we had Porzingis healthy we probably would have won the championship this year I think that's what those guys think which should hopefully motivate them to put up a thousand jump shots a day and lift all the weights in the world and eat the most nutritious food. I mean, like, <laughs> I feel like this experience is, if, if they take from this what I hope they do, then it's going to, it's not, they're not going to sit around feeling sorry for themselves is basically what I'm saying. They're going to, they're going to feel motivated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which is obviously very good. So hopefully, hopefully that happens. Um, do we even so in between know? now and then. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The, oh, uh, oh, I was going to change subjects. So if you had no, any, no, no, I want you to change subjects. I was about okay. to start asking you about free agency. If, if that's what I was, that's what I was going to go, dude, we're okay. in sync. We're in sync. Just like Justin and, uh, and, and, uh, the other people in sync. Um, I thought you were going to say Justin and Brittany. That too, dude, I'll, I'll be Brittany. You can be Justin. That's fine. Sweet. Uh, okay. So in between now and then it's the draft and free agency. And so the Mavs now have the 18th and the 31st pick, of course, getting that pick from golden state in a trade, for Andrew Bogut, like four years ago, and that is why trading for second-round draft picks sometimes is a good thing. Um, Dallas cannot trade the pick until they actually draft a player. So if you're if you're you know gonna do the ESPN trade machine thing, just keep that in mind because of the Stepien rule. So they will be selecting a player in the first round on draft night, uh, and then free agency happens 
at some indefinite time in the future, uh, the Mavs almost certainly will not have any cap space, but they'll be able to use the mid-level exception, which depending on where the cap ends up is going to be somewhere around like nine or $10 million a year. Uh, and then they'll also be able to hand out minimum contracts. But there's only a couple guys on the team whose contracts are expiring. Those guys are J.J. Barea and Courtney Lee. Um, and then MKG as well, I'm assuming. Um, and then, of course, there is player options and team options. And those are taking place around the league. But there is one guy on the team this year who has a player option. Well, I think Willie Colley-Stein might too. Uh, but there's a pretty significant sum of money at stake for Tim Hardaway Jr., who has a player option for something like 18 or $19 million. Uh, and I think based on kind of the uncertainty of the whole cap situation, I feel like a lot of guys are probably just going to accept those options to take the yeah. money because in, in addition to the cap being lower, potentially there's almost no teams that have money. So uh, the market will be very stiff. But um, so that, that's kind of like the lay of the land. So with all of those things in mind, you know, with a mid-round draft pick, high second-round draft pick, uh, not many free agents on your team and also in the league and not a lot of money to spend. How do you get better between next, this season and next season? What are you looking to upgrade, uh, be it positionally or attitude-wise? People say they need an enforcer. People say they right. need a rebounder. People say they need a wing. What, what are you trying to do as a GM skin to get the Mavs to the promised land next year? Because that is the goal from here on out. Yeah, I you know, the thing that I want to add, and I don't even – really necessarily care the size of the player. I'd love him to be the size of Kevin Durant. But, um, you know, I need to add a, another creator that is not a defensive liability. That's kind of my goal. I'd love it if he – you know you know who I would love? I mean, he, I mean he's not a – I'm just talking about the style of player. He's not a player that's available, and I'm not advocating poaching or anything like that. But, like, I'm a huge fan of the style of player that Marcus Smart is. Um, he plays bigger than he is. He can handle the ball. I mean, he's not like in a point guard or anything, but he can handle the ball. He makes great decisions. He's a tough son of a bitch. And even if he's missed five threes, when there's five seconds left, I think he's going to make that three. I just, I've always loved his DNA. And I, he, to me, he's kind of like a smaller Draymond Green in a lot of ways. And I think that that's a big compliment, you know. Um, that's my perspective on that. Uh, like when I'm, I've been very excited watching Bam out of Bayou play, and I'm like, dude, he's kind of a bigger Draymond Green. And I mean, these things. Bam is awesome. He's awesome. He's so good. Uh, and, you know, uh, I know we're supposed to hate Miami around here, but that's the team I want to come out of the East because I love watching them play. I love, I love every single one of their players. I do too. Every single one of them. I do too. And uh, last night we were, or the other night we were watching my wife, you know, she, she knows faces. She doesn't really follow the league super close, but Spolster came on. She goes, does that guy ever age? And I immediately <laughs> He was does like, look the same, man. I was like, oh, my God, 2011 was nine years ago, and he looks exactly the same. He's so, got to be uh, almost 50 by now, but he looks, he looks younger than me. Yeah. You know, the only reason I hated the Heat was because of Dwayne Wade, and he's gone, so left that guy. But uh, <laughs> I had this really – I've always loved Pat Riley. Uh, I've always loved that guy, and – there's a really cool moment this year. I think it was this year. Everything runs together uh, where Pat Riley came over at halftime to seek out Hark. And there's a real famous quote that I'm sure it was attributed to Pat Riley, whether or not it was actually Pat Riley, but it was attributed to him back before the internet was when he said, Derek Harper has got to be the best player in NBA history to have never made an all-star team. 
Uh, and so, but you know, that's fall, true. Follow, follow and I were just standing there watching the mutual reverence that Pat Riley and Derek Harper had for one another. And it was just really cool to watch. So there's a lot of reasons why I, I like this heat team and blah, blah, blah. But, um, I know we got there talking about Bam out of Bayou, talking about Draymond, talking about Marcus, but we're saying all of that to say they need, they need a Swiss Army knife, defensive, grit, playmaking guy that the other team is not going to go, ah, shoot it, go ahead, I don't care. You know, they, they need something like that. He doesn't have to be – I'm not talking about an all-star. I'd love an all-star. But uh, I think they need that more than anything else. And they need a healthy Dwight Powell. And, and, you know, they need their, they need their hurt guys to come back. So that, that's kind of what I think they need. Is it a stretch to think that based on the way other teams in the West are playing, uh, even though I think the West will be a little stronger next year because you got a, long, a lot of young teams that are on the come up and Golden State will be back. Is it a stretch to think that the gap between where the Mavs are now and how good you have to be to win a couple series or more um, – can be bridged by a guy like you're talking about and not by the only way that you can win a championship or, or make a conference finals is to add an all-star. Like, is it possible for them to improve by this much without yes. turning the team upside down and, and getting yes. another max guy in there? Like, what is the, yes. what is kind of the outlook? Uh, yeah, the, the, so four years ago, no. Three years ago, probably not. Now, yes. And the reason is, is because no team really has more than two stars, all right? Uh, we can start debating on third guys all we want. Like, in other words, you, you know my affinity for Lou Williams. I love Lou Williams, but I'm not going to come in here and tell you that he's part of a super team because he's their third guy. It's not like they got Clay and Steph and Kevin Durant, you know? You see, you see what yeah. I'm saying? So Boston is the closest – you know, with, with Brown, Tatum, and, and Kemba. But yeah. they're, in, they're in the other conference. You, then, don't, you don't have to worry about them. They're, no, and then when, uh, when Kemba was in Charlotte, did you think he was the third member? Of, just this, as a player, did you think that's the third member of a super team? Now, Not I really, really – no. And so what I'm saying is, is when you have upper-level guys and other guys start elevating, right? So the state of the NBA, it shifted. And it went away from super teams back to the 90s style of duos. All right. So the Mavericks have duos. So what I would say is, no, you don't have to add that to take a giant leap. The giant leap is going to come with healthy Porzingis and more experience from Luca. That's where the giant leap comes. I would love to add a third all-star. That's great. But that's not what has to happen. And the best example I can give to you who is Houston's third best player? Oh, my God. Uh, Mike D'Antoni. Right. And, and is it fair to say that there's plenty of people that thought that Houston had an, a chance to win a championship? Yeah, for sure. So it's like, what is that leap? You know, that's the thing. We're in a duo league now. We're back to a duo league. And the Mavericks have a duo. They absolutely have a duo. That duo has to be healthy. And if that duo had stayed healthy, you and I have changed our thoughts on whether or not they could have beat the Clippers because we saw it on the floor. Mm. Now, I think the Clippers played down. You know, they didn't play the way they were supposed to play. But the Mavericks have already crossed the threshold. 
So now it's health and getting better and making the right decisions around those guys. And so I think you can package whatever the 18th pick is and whatever the 31st pick is and another piece of this team. I'm not going to say get rid of this guy or get rid of that guy, but we know how trades are made. You look at contracts and what guys can do and is their contract prohibitive and some of those things and go, all right, that can get you something that you feel like is going to make your team significantly better. I think mm -hmm. all of that is in play. And so now it's a matter of Donnie, Rick, and Mark identifying what that is and going and getting it. And if you're doubting their track record, I think you haven't been paying attention the last 20-something years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and think of just how close the margins were in so many of their games in the regular season. I mean, giving away games, losing tight games, and lots of them – I think that this experience is going to harden their resolve a little bit. And I think Luka getting a little taste of this is what it takes to be Kawhi Leonard yeah. uh, is going to maybe make him take everything. I've said this before, like just like 5% more seriously throughout every single game. And if he does that, then not only is it going to like already be inducted into the Hall of Fame before he even turns 22, but they're going to win a lot more close games because – you take two fewer possessions off during a game on defense and suddenly you're winning by five and not down by one. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Those are the lessons that you learn in the, in the playoffs. Do you think uh, Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the league right now or the second best player or something like that? Do you think he's in that conversation? Uh, 100%. I think that he's the best. I think he's the best player in the league. So when he came into the league, he learned from Ginobili, Duncan, Pop, and Tony Parker. All right. Luca, Not bad. Luca learned from Dennis Smith Jr. And uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, and I'm not meaning that as a shot anybody or whatever. I'm saying Kawhi was taught how to win immediately. Luca's got Rick and he's got JJ, and those guys matter. They absolutely matter, but this is a different trajectory. And so we have to factor that whole thing in and, and be fair about, you know, how quickly you get to where you're going to go. And you and I had – uh, I think our general tone on the the clutch and crunch time stuff this year was different than a lot of the pessimistic tones because my whole thought on that is, all right, if you believe that the Mavericks have these clutch problems that can't be fixed, then you're telling me that Luca and Porzingis aren't the ones. That's what you're telling me because I just think once they had played – I mean – Look at how much they played together when they were both healthy at the end of games. And you're telling me that's a sample size that you're making some deduction about what they are and aren't. Now, did you guys watch the playoffs? Do you feel differently now? If you have two badasses, all they need is experience. And these are certified badasses. This stuff will fall into place. Rick knows what to draw up. The guys on the bench, the other, other part of this coaching staff have experience. They know what to do. This isn't like, oh, my God, I don't know how to figure out how to win anymore, even though I've won my <laughs> whole career. And I don't know how do these unstoppable guys figure it out. I guess we're screwed, everybody. There's seven games they didn't win. I mean, that is silly talk. And I get it. We all do it. We get overly emotional. But I'm looking at this going, what sample size are you basing all this pessimism off of? I get it. They got to win. Luka Doncic won a effing playoff game. That game, it wasn't just that shot. There was tons of stuff that led up to it. And so what, what I'm saying is they have the ingredients. Now it's just letting it 
you know, we want everything now. Oh, I got to have immediate satisfaction, all that crap. LeBron didn't win a championship till he was, what, 28? How old was he, 27? He'd been a 26, I think, 27, which for Luca is five years from now. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude, and LeBron had been in the league seven years, eight years, or however many years by the time he won it. Uh, Kevin Durant left an all-star team to go join a better all-star team because he was feeling the pressure. These things mm. don't happen overnight. I'm telling yep. you, the Mavericks have what it takes already. It's just got to be tweaked and added to, but they've already crossed the threshold of what you need to win in this league. Yeah, well, and, and ultimately, too, I mean, look, this team, we said it before, they didn't. They barely got blown out at all this year. They lost two games by 15 points. That was their – or two games, sorry, by more than 15 points all year. Second fewest in the league. And so they're pretty much in all these games. They won a lot of blowouts. And I would say the difference between – uh, them winning in crunch time or them winning or losing in crunch time games had less to do, frankly, with what happened in the final few minutes. Now that was, there was some pretty inexcusable moments, of course, or of course. you wish you could take back shots. You wish you could take back um, and more to do with what happened earlier in the game. Think of how many blown coverages there were where the Mavs would hit a shot and then the other team would just dribble it down and literally just uncontested layup because they couldn't figure out who they were guarding right. or you know, miscommunication, or you make a couple silly turnovers in the first quarter and get down by seven when you really should be up by two. All of those things matter. And so yeah. uh, you lose close games. Rick always says this, and I, it drives a lot of people crazy, and I understand why it does. But uh, he says you lose a lot of close games in, like, the first quarter or yeah. the second quarter. And so, you know, that's why I was saying about, about Luca in particular because he has the ball in his hands so much. And he does take a lot of heat check shots, even if he's 0 for 4, which is I, I think is hilarious. But – it is what it is. Um, you know, you take everything just a little more seriously. You dig in a little deeper on defense. You, uh, you know, you push a little harder on offense. Uh, maybe you pick up your man full court sometimes if, if he's hot. Like, just a little, just a few things. And that goes for everybody, but Luca especially. Then all of a sudden, you're not down two in crunch time. You're up seven, you know. And, and all of those little mistakes that are extremely correctable, but that just happened because you were arguing a call or, you know, whatever, uh, suddenly you're, you're winning 5, 10, 15 more games. And that's not an exaggeration. Look at how many close games they lost this year. You can't tell me they can't win 10 or 15 more next year simply right. by just not, you know, kind of falling on their faces in some of these games. Well, I think with health, Bobby, it's not outrageous to think that it's a 55-win team next year. With, they were trending that way for a lot of the year. With reasonable health. What did they have uh, – did they end up playing 75 games this year? Is that what it was? Yeah, 75, and they were 43 and 32. They yeah, so went, what, is... three and five in the bubble, so they, they were 40 and 26 or 40 and 27 or something heading into it. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's it's probably a 46, 47 win team if it's a normal season that you play. And then I think that, you know, you've got these two stars that are getting better. And then I think it's not unreasonable to go, yeah, we can make the, the jump to the mid-50s in the next year. Improve around the margins, sense. man. Yeah. yeah. Man, super, super homer takes. But I, I think that it's, it's grounded in a lot of reality. But like we said, a lot of teams in the West are going to get better. And so that's the challenge of taking the next, next step, right, is that you have to win all the games you won this year, and then you got to win more of them next yeah. year. Like you got you to keep improving, keep going up. So you can't, you can't afford to – to take any steps back, but that's why I think this experience is so valuable for them because they got a taste, they got some exposure, and also I think they're sitting at home watching the rest of these playoff games kind of pissed off thinking like that really should be us right now, 
Yeah. Uh, we kind of, we kind of let it get away from us whenever we lost to Houston and lost to Phoenix and lost to Portland. Um, I, I feel like they all want another crack at it next year. And, and that's, that's a good thing, unquestionably. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't know when the hell next year is, but whenever it happens, I'll be ready. I'm going to go yeah. ahead and believe all these uh, vaccine stories I'm seeing just to make myself feel better. And Hey, <laughs> are we going to have that in 2020? And are we playing, are we hooping it up uh, right after Christmas? What are we doing? Let's just say yes and be excited and move forward. Yeah. It might really be next year, but who knows? We'll keep you updated all the time. We'll be, uh, we'll be bringing some more off season numbers on the boards for you. Uh, don't know when, don't know where, but the NBA timeline, uh, as it becomes a little more clear, we will make sure to update you on this year pod. Um, Skin, any any final words, any, any parting shots you want to get off? Yeah, no, thank you guys for listening to Numbers on the Boards. I mean, it's uh, Bobby and I are just big, obviously, Mav homers and basketball nerds, so we'd probably be having these conversations whether or not we were holding a mic. In fact, the 15-minute conversation we had before we started the podcast was better than any of the things that we put in this podcast but uh, (laughs) we're uh, prohibited by law from telling you what we're actually saying but uh, I feel like the people that listen to this podcast and make it through to these final moments are like us and love basketball and love talking about it and uh, those are our kind of people so we certainly appreciate everybody rolling with us yeah absolutely it was a great year man it was a great year there's there's a lot of frustration at times and Obviously, with real-world situation going on, it's understandable. But um, at the end of the day, it's just—it's really fun to get to talk about this team and, and talk about Luca and some of these players, and, and to do it with you, man. It's—it's a—it's a, it's a lot of fun. So, aren't you—aren't you, uh, aren't you proud to be an NBA fan and specifically a part of the Mavericks organization, the way that they see the world? So proud. No doubt. So proud. This has been a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's been like the worst year ever, but it's been very uplifting to be part of this organization, including the event that, that you're going to kind of like oversee. Do you want to talk about that at all real quick? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot more uh, that still needs to be developed, but the Mavericks did announce as part of their, uh, you know, they're taking action and action's an acronym. It stands for different things. And the end part of the word action is noise. And so um, uh, I, me and a buddy have a small record label here in Dallas and we're putting together a music project that's got some really, extraordinary names on it some uh you know some texas artists and some a few national artists uh and you know early in the process of trying to figure out we wanted to do a a record that uh generated money we're not doing it for profit uh we're doing it for to generate money and we want to specifically address issues in regards to education and the way that people see the world and bringing truth to education and not running from the past history, you know, embracing what it is so we can all do better collectively. And then also, uh, you know, we live in a capitalist structure. And so we need to uh, empower people that have barriers of entry to participate in this game of capitalism that, you know, uh, we can criticize it or we can talk about its virtues. But, you know, if you like sports and you like competition, you probably admire capitalism as well. And I think there's ways for it to be fair and balanced and equal and just. And so we're trying to put truth into those two specific areas because I think that's the best way to get to where everyone's kind of looking at each other the right way. And I knew what the Mavericks stood for. So I approached them and they were all about it. So just know that in February of 2021 for Black History Month, we're going to bring you something 
and there's going to be a lot of big people involved and we're very excited and we think that uh it'll get people excited and i just love that the mavericks were willing to be a part of it dude that's awesome that is awesome i'm, I'm really looking forward to it too you've told me a little bit about it and it's it sounds like it's going to just be extremely cool so uh I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And also, I'm very happy that the Mavs were willing to, to kind of jump in because, like you said, it is something that really checks off a lot of the things that, that we and, and namely Scent want to accomplish, not just with equality, but also with equity. And that's the, yeah. the economic aspect, which is really important. And then also with education, too. I mean, it's all these words start with the letter E. But, I mean, it's true. We, it's, it's not as simple as just, like, pushing a button to end racism. You know, you actually have to do stuff. And, and one of the most important steps is making people aware that these are problems that need to be, you know, addressed. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so I, just to, I want to say something to that, uh, Bobby, because I'm not naive. I, you're never going to stop racism because you're never going to stop hate. There's always going to be people that hate people for reasons that are mystifying and unjustified. Uh, but what you can address that all people should want to address is the idea of the flaws in our structure that hold specific people back. And you don't want to, if you're a person that's looking to go, well, look at this outlier, you're wrong. I would just ask you, what is your motivation in taking that approach to this? What is your motivation in not trying to see things in a different light? What is, I guess I want to ask you specifically, person, what is your agenda? What is it that you are trying to accomplish? And are you doing it with, uh, within the spirit of love and respect for the people of this country? Because if you salute and love a flag, you should love it for everybody that was born here and everybody that wants to come here and be a part of it, not just a sector of the population that looks a certain way. Because if that's where you're going, you are not bringing truth to this process. Uh, you know, and, and I would, I would say that, you know, like people that are in the clan, those are truthful people, quite honestly, they're showing you all their cards. They're letting yeah, they're you know not hiding anything. <laughs> but the problem is the people that don't realize how they're contributing to this stuff, because I think the vast majority of those people are really good people and believe they're doing the right things. I think we have to make this effort to make sure everybody is seeing everything the way that it truly is, because I know everyone and most of the people in my world want to hold themselves to a higher standard. And we can't hold ourselves to a higher standard if we're lying to ourselves about what the reality of our situation is. So why are we lying to ourselves? Do we really, are we ignorant to it and we really don't know? Or do we have this sort of agenda that we're trying to protect? And I would just say that the people that push fear on you, they're pushing fear on you because they're trying to maintain their power and they're manipulating you through fear. And don't be manipulated and don't buy into that bullshit. Don't do it. Dude. Yes. 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 And also, if you live in Dallas County, go to the American Airlines Center on November 3rd vote. and vote. How about that? It's incredible. That's another thing we're doing. Let's Turn go. a freaking arena into a polling. It's hey, awesome. Hey, listen, we're not telling you who to vote for. No, vote I don't, I don't care who you, you vote for. Vote Just for vote. who you identify with. And if there's a particular party that's trying to stop you from voting, ask yourself why that is. Is that American? Is that why you salute the flag? That is a manipulation of power. Do not trust that. Appeal to your base instincts. 
Don't I don't like Rockets fans, but I, I hope Rockets fans can vote. Go vote. I don't like them. Vote don't for like, Harden. I don't like Astros fans. No. Guess what? I want them to vote. Do, go I, vote. I vote, for, vote for whoever it is that appeals to your sensibilities. Just go vote. And don't, yep. tr- don't allow anybody to stop you from voting. Yep. Voting is cool. And you want to be cool, right? Right on. Yeah. Dude. All right, I'm all fired up now. I'm gonna go change the world after Let's after uh, after after posting this to all of your favorite podcast platforms. Yeah. And if you two are, let us know, man. We like we love hearing feedback from y'all, and maybe even we can do like some sort of uh, like mailbag podcast or something. Oh, that'd be great. I'd be way into that. People, uh, people want us to talk about because there's no better way to address your interests than by you letting us know about them. So we'd right love on. to hear back from you on uh, Twitter. He's Skin Wade. I'm Bobby Corella, and this is Numbers on the Boards. You can hear it everywhere, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. All the other ones, they're all over the internet. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you at some point in the indefinite future, but uh, we will be back, and so will the Mavs, and oh, my God, it's going to be glorious. All right, Skin, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate you as always. Appreciate uh, you, homeboy. And uh, we'll see you next time on Numbers on the Boards. See ya!